Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Rero and welcome to uh-huh. the rectal cast. Not the rectal cast. Yes, the, re- the rectal cast. That's disgusting. Rye Rame is Raitlin. You said the rectal cast. <laughs> Yes, I am familiar and I'm aware. Yeah. Okay, welcome to the rectal cast. <laughs> My name is Rami Raptus. And I I resent how Scooby would introduce us. The rectal yeah. cast. The rectal cast. Which you know, so be it. So be it. Scooby which it. Celeb- Scooby it, Caitlin. Scooby it. <laughs> Which celebrity thought that the Bechdel test was called the rectal test? Did that happen? There was someone. Yes. Uh, Whoa. Wait, let me look it up. You know who's been on Scooby? Who? Joey Chestnut. Wait, what? That doesn't pass the rectal <laughs> test. <laughs> but actually, anything involving Joey does pass the rectal test due to how many hot dogs he eats. But it, it does not pass the Bechdel test due to the fact that he's a man. Uh, right. Anyways, yeah, he was in uh, he was in an episode of Scooby Doo. It was a thrilling day for me as a mm-hmm. Scooby fan, and most importantly, as Joey's wife. Yeah, of and, course. It yeah. was Diane Lane who accidentally Diane. called the Bechtel test the rectal test. I've got to be honest. I do feel like she's well within her rights, and I hope that no <laughs> one corrected her. That's pretty iconic. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so the Joey episode, it actually came out in the last couple of years. It's its wow. a new Scooby venture called Scooby-Doo and Guess Who? And Guess Who? Okay. Joey, Joey Chestnut. Chestnut. Who passes <laughs> the rectal test with flying covers, colors every 4th of July. 
yeah, of course. Well, speaking of hot dogs, there's that part Thank in so this much. movie where oh, Shaggy is like, hey, that reminds me, me of the time started. that we tried to eat the guy in the hot dog don't get costume. get me started on this. I also was thinking, <laughs> what was my... All right, we have to introduce the show because this is a main feed mm. episode. Welcome to the Vexel yes. cast. Welcome to the rectal rest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rut row, we're gonna be saying rectal at unprecedented uh levels this week. It's true. My name is Jamie Loftus, my name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the rectal rest, which yes. is a rio rhetoric presented by Rallis and Rectal, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. sometimes called the rectal. <laughs> If this is your first episode, you should probably pick a different episode to listen to for the first time. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of different versions of the rectal test, (laughs) but um, we use our our very own special version. But Caitlin, Mm -hmm. what, what the fuck is it? Well, our version is that two characters of a marginalized gender Uh must have names. Mm -hmm. They must speak to each other. Scooby. Doesn't, you know, Shaggy. Ugh. No, they're boys. But if Velma and Daphne talk to each other about something other than a man, they can't be talking. Or about something other than Scooby, then it passes. I think we should we should make our test more. Ooh, I can feel a chaotic episode coming on. I really can. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we should make a a special exception for today, or just maybe a general addition to our version of. The rectal rest, where, mm-hmm. um, where it does pass if you're talking about Scooby. Oh, okay. So like an Alfred Molina kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Did I ever tell you about my like? I, I feel like there's a lot of like stale Jamie bits that are going to be connected to this episode. First mm-hmm. of all, Matthew Lillard. I was trying to remember what the fuck I was saying about Matthew. I think I was pretending to be his assistant. Was that it? Or I would be right. like, Willard! No, he was my assistant. Matthew Lillard oh. was my assistant oh. in my in my little fantasy life. And I was making him bring me, I think, tuna on crackers, it could have been. Oh, um, or maybe soup. I kind of remember soup? this. Was this? Oh, I think Lillard was bringing me soup and he was dropping the soup and I was yelling at him. Was oh. this on the Scream episode, maybe? I forget when I, we would have... I believe that that would have been. It could have also been, and I think it maybe made a comeback in the, um, oh, what's that Winona Ryder movie where they're just complaining, complaining, complaining. He's in that one too. Um, we, we covered it last year, I swear <laughs> to God. Reality Bites? Yes. No, he's not in that, is he? Wait, no, am I? Mm, no. No, because no, I'm thinking of Steve Zahn. But he is in Hackers. I think he is in hackers. How long has it been since we've colored, covered a, a Lillard original? And we haven't done SLC Punk, and we should at some point. We should. I've only seen that movie mm-hmm. once, and it was the only time I've done Molly. And I was like, <gasps> Why would you do okay. Molly and then watch SLC Punk alone? Uh, not alone, <laughs> to be clear. Not uh-huh. alone with a friend. Uh, oh, okay. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> There was the bit about Matthew Lillard being my assistant, and you're right, making me soup. I think I'm going to bail yeah. on it. I think I'm going to bail oh. on it for today. But okay. I do have another Scooby bit I'd like to share. This is a long-term one. Okay. I used to have this dream, not like a, but like you know, a wish, a, a cherished wish yes, yes. kind of dream, in which at every pivotal point 
in my life. I thought it would be really funny if there was someone wearing a Scooby costume just Mm -hmm. also in the room in a way that would feel so bizarre that I would want people to feel like they were dreaming if they attended. So I'm talking about like a wedding that is a very standard wedding, Uh but someone in the audience or the, not the audience, God, (laughs) depressing, the pews or whatever, the seats Uh is wearing a Scooby costume and like no attention is brought to it. I'm talking, I'm giving birth, delivery room. Whoa. Scooby. (laughs) Scooby's there. Yeah, all the way through uh, my funeral, like when I've you know shuffled off this mortal coil, I think it would be fun for there to be just a, a, a someone in a Scooby suit. Now, at, at each important turn in my life is this a like a lifelong dream you've had, or this has been something I have been talking about since high school. Oh, okay. whoa, yeah, okay. I have. If I were at, I'm 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 not at my apartment at the moment, but. If I were, I could show you um, an illustration that I've done of me as a self-portrait. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two Jamies. It's much like uh, the Frida Kahlo self-portrait where she's sitting across from another Frida. Okay, it's that, yeah. but it's me, and between us is a Scooby. Interesting. So it has been a cherished wish for, for a long time. <laughs> and I'll say it's not too late because mm-hmm. the, the very arbitrary life, quote-unquote, accomplishments I was listing, uh, none of them have happened. And so mm-hmm. not too late for Scooby at the wedding, not too late for Scooby in the delivery room, not too late for uh, Scooby at the funeral. Yeah. Scooby at the funeral. Wait, what is <laughs> that is a Sundance movie waiting to happen. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you should write it, I guess. All right. I'm not going to talk for the rest of the episode. Is that okay? <laughs> Yeah, I'll take over. We so, should talk about the Matreon because this this episode is happening in this way. Yes. Due to the fact that our listener base has really gone off the rails. It's true. Um, run off the rails. Run, I like run off, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we are covering Scooby-Doo 2002 because we had put a request out to our matrons on the Matreon uh-huh. asking what horror movies that we have not yet covered that they would like us to cover for the month of October and now to be fair mm -hmm. should we have put Scooby-Doo 2002 under horror movies we haven't covered some might say no however well well (laughs) here's what Uh happened Uh so eventually it became a poll that the matrons voted on but before that we were just submitting any request and you sickos (laughs) Maybe it was my fault with the wording of the original post because I just said spooky movie rather than like horror movie. I would say that, yeah, that does pretty closely. And you got the double O. Sounds like it it's it's Scooby-Doo more like spooky-doo. It's giving Scooby. (laughs) It's giving Scooby. Um, Uh Okay, sorry. I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay, so I remember. The requests flooded in and there Uh were six that ended up on the poll, the most frequently requested movies and one of them was scooby-doo 2002 so Mm -hmm. we put it on the poll i thought it would be like maybe somewhere in the middle toward closer to last place unbelievable response one by a landslide i think did a lap around the closest competitor (laughs) like yeah i don't know what are you all is every listener on this show the exact same age 
Like, wh- mm-hmm. I don't understand what the, the... But I do think that, I mean, well, whatever, 20-year cycles, right? People have Scooby-Dooby-Doo 2002 on the brain. Mm-hmm. And they're also, I, I will shout out, one of my favorite YouTubers of all time, Mike's Mike, mm-hmm. did a barn burner of a video about Scooby Dooby Doo 2002 just mm-hmm. last year. Another YouTuber who I really like, named Bread Sword, did a very popular Scooby Doo video uh, in the last couple of years where he watched mm-hmm. 44 Scooby Doo movies. What? Scooby. Scooby's got his paw on the pulse again. Let's just say that. He got oh. Joey. He got Joey. Are you Joey joking? Chestnut? <laughs> and Joey Chestnut, another person who's got his paw on the pulse. Well, so, while we're talking about it, so apparently, I don't know if this is an animated Scooby-Doo movie or just maybe the name of an episode of a Scooby series. I think it actually might be a movie, though. There's something called Scooby-Doo and the Curse of the 13th Ghost that came out in 2019 with yeah, Matthew Lillard movie. voicing Shaggy. Matthew Lillard is also in a movie called 13 Ghosts. So is this a crossover kind of thing? Well, and then also there's been Scooby-Dooby drama oh. in the last oh. couple of years. Uh-huh. because do, I think we talked about this on the podcast at the time, which is wild because... I have no idea what the conversation would have connected to. But one of, I think, the enduring, of of the many enduring elements of Scooby-Doo 2002, this, like, Matthew Lillard Shaggy specifically Mm -hmm. became canon. Canon. Mm -hmm. He still does Shaggy to this day. He's done Shaggy one, two, three, in three different series this year alone. He is the canonical Shaggy. That mm-hmm. has not been true for anyone else in this cast. Um, not to say that they weren't wonderful, but like usually voice casting is pretty fluid, but mm-hmm. uh, not so. I mean, I think Lillard really just nailed it so much really that he cornered that market. And God bless. <laughs> but um, there, if you recall, there there was a bit of drama. Oh, Scooby Doo drama. Scoob. Yes. Right. Yes. The movie Scoob. Thank you for remembering the drama surrounding Scoob. Yes, they replaced Matthew Lillard. People were furious. They were losing it. Mm-hmm. Will Forte Shaggy. I love Will Forte, but it was wrong. Mm-hmm. It was wrong. And, and mm-hmm. Lillard, I think in a way that I was like, all right, this is maybe a bit much. He publicly responded and he was like, I'm very disappointed uh-huh. to not have been cast in Scoob. It hurts. It feels mm-hmm. bad. And uh, the fans were outraged because Lillard is canon mm-hmm. shaggy. He loves being shaggy. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm thrilled to report that it really has uh, appeared to have course corrected because, you know, that Scoob was 2020. I remember watching mm-hmm. it in early lockdown and being like, this is the worst thing that's going to happen in 2020. No, like, <laughs> that's, that's how you know that, you know, the world is in utter disarray. Lillard's not even doing shaggy. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, within the year, it was uh, the the fans. They got what they fucking wanted, and mm-hmm. he's you know he he is our Shaggy again. Thank goodness. Uh, none of this passed the Bechtel test, but it is relevant, <laughs> and that is how yeah. Scooby would say that word. He would say relevant. I think he actually would say relevant. Relevant. <laughs> zoinks. Mm-hmm. Can I just say zoinks? You can. <laughs> oh god bless this movie what a treat so anyways uh if you're listening to this episode 
um, and you voted for Scooby-Doo on the Matreon, this mm-hmm. is your fault. I uh, hope you're happy because I'm actually quite happy that we are covering this movie. Same. But if you're not a member of the Matreon, here's a plug for it because, um, I mean, we're, we couldn't be more biased, but it's, it's a treat. It's a treat. For five bucks a month, you can get two bonus episodes. It's just me and Caitlin. Mm-hmm. It's a little more, you know, it's like a lighthearted, fun vibe over on the Matreon. We usually choose a theme every month. This mm-hmm. month, it's popular horror requests we haven't gotten to. And so the reason that we shifted Scooby-Doo over to the main feed is because it won by such a landslide. And we're like, well, if this many matrons won it, surely this many people in general want it so then on the matreon this month we are covering i guess like second and third place which basically tied two votes apart yeah it felt it felt right it felt mm-hmm. right to do it so we're doing it follows and barbarian which both also take uh, both take place in the greater detroit area right. and are kind of more independent movies so it feels like a, a, a more appropriate match up mm-hmm. over there and if you would or if you're interested in those episodes or Hell, the like 150 episodes of backlog we have over yes. in the Matreon. It is a mere $5 a month. It's a very fun community. Um, and as you can tell by the episode we're doing right now, um, they're absolute menaces over there. They're always making us <laughs> do all sorts. I think I truly, I'm trying to think of like, for me, for me on the Matreon, I think it's it's the Pinocchio Wars for me. That's where we can really um, let our uh-huh. worst instincts fly free. We did do a theme earlier this year that was every adaptation of Pinocchio that came out in 2022, which was three of them, mm-hmm. including the Polly Shore Pinocchio. So if you really yes. want some um, some deep cuts and some fun discussions, that is where you can find them. But today, mm-hmm. serious discourse on the main feed, <laughs> Scooby-Doo 2002. Now, Caitlin, what is your history with this movie? And I would also say Scooby Cannon. Of course. I had never seen this movie before. <gasps> no way, really? It's true. Shocking. And I had never seen its sequel either, nor had I really seen any Scooby-Doo intellectual property. I'm I fascinated was aware to hear this. Of the characters, it, you know, it has permeated oh. pop culture, you know, oh. the zeitgeist, if you will. Um, so I just knew through cultural osmosis who all the... And maybe I've, like, it was on in the background at some point, but I never, like, actively sat down and watched any Scooby show or anything like that. Mm. But I, you know, obviously, you know, Scooby and Scrappy and Shaggy and Fred and Velma and Daphne. They're very, yeah, they're like peak cultural osmosis stuff. Yes. So, but yeah, I had never seen this movie or much in the way of any other Scooby-Doo property. Um, But I was, you know, keeping my eye on the pole and saw that Scooby-Doo is taking the lead by a lot. I was like, well, I'll watch it. So I watched it a few weeks ago with our friend Bryant, and then I watched it two more times to prep for this episode. Well, I mean, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready because there's a lot going on in this movie. And I'm like... Mm kind of serious i i i knew i told you remember we were like you're like i don't know if there's anything to say and i was like there's some stuff to say Mm -hmm. and we'll say it um and then i also watched scooby-doo 2 2004 monsters unleashed i haven't seen that movie i don't think since it came out Mm. so i'm i'm thrilled to hear (laughs) jamie what is your relationship with scooby oh you know i love it 
I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, it will it maybe will not shock longtime listeners of the show to know that I love Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. I think that like it was maybe in like arrogant child brain. It was maybe one of the first cartoons I got burnt out on as a kid because mm-hmm. I really loved mainline. I mean, they would show reruns on Cartoon Network. I'd watch them with my cousins, but it was, you know, very, very formulaic, uh, which I think mm-hmm. is commented on quite brilliantly at the beginning of Scooby-Doo 2002 mm-hmm. where it's a ghostly mystery but also like I mean in the deeper into Scooby canon you get there's a lot of kind of um questions of like in the Scooby-Doo world is magic real is the supernatural mm. a, a force in this movie I think it is equally ambiguous and confusing <laughs> and equally uh-huh. written off and dismissed yeah which i guess is true to canon but also it's like it's always like oh no it's not you know ghosts aren't real it's just some some horny old guy in a, ma- a man in a, a mask carnival. yeah it, it's you know like in and a very predictable way and so it was like as a kid i remember loving it and then being like oh my god i think i know how every episode's gonna end and then um abandoning the scooby ship for a while i'll be honest um i saw this movie in theaters Mm -hmm, i remember mm -hmm. loving it Mm -hmm. thinking it was a little raunchy really being fixated on sarah michelle geller's outfits Mm -hmm. and being i i think i've mentioned this on the show before being I, i like there i didn't like practical effects or cg animals when i was a kid and i think a particularly gnarly time to be a kid and be witnessing effects because I, with all due respect to, you know, to the Scooby hive, Mm -hmm. to the denizens of the mystery machine, Scooby looks busted in these movies. Oh, he freaks me out. He freaks me out. And yeah, Scooby Doo 2002, even as a kid, I was like, this is not this, this is not my Scooby. I don't, you know, this is not hashtag not my Scooby. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a little freaked by the Scooby, but I loved this movie. I thought it was so funny. Mm-hmm. And I also am just like, as a grown person interested in Scooby discourse, Scooby Dooby discourse, mm-hmm. um, as we call it in the community. Of course. I'm not a part of the community. <laughs> Let me be, I just... But I am interested because uh-huh. I feel like there is um, a lot of um, – because it's been – you know, it's a property that's been around for, I believe – let me check. I, okay. I did know off the top of my head. Yeah, over over half a century, these <laughs> damn kids have been ripping masks off of old guys' heads. And I think that there is, like, a really interesting legacy around the way that peop- uh, fans have perceived these characters. I think there's a huge – queer reading of the Scooby-Doo expanded universe Mm -hmm. that is very unique and very cool and also ties into this movie directly um for the sake of like I I don't know there's if you're a listener there's a lot of Scooby-Doo content Mm -hmm. we are mostly going to be sticking to the movie Mm -hmm. but you know in the context of who these characters have meant I think especially with like Daphne and Velma and a little bit of Fred there's a lot to talk about I think it's an interesting um, and and wholesome kind of um, property, mm-hmm. and I do remember there was something of a shitstorm surrounding like discourse around the Mindy Kaling Velma oh. series that came out last year. Yes, I'm gonna say I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. I didn't watch it. I don't know. The only don't... thing I will say that I think is relevant to our discussion is that the cast of Scooby Doo has for a very, very long time, been 
white, just a yes. bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. And then Velma, the HBO Max or whatever, just Max, whatever. It's HBO. Quit trying to make Max happen. Anyway. I don't know. The world is going to be incinerated in 10 years. You know? <laughs> Nothing matters. Yeah. Um, but the animated series, Velma, starring and I think like executive produced by Mindy Kaling. Mm. Mindy Kaling plays Velma. There's also Constance Wu plays Daphne and Sam Richardson plays Shaggy as well as yes. Glenn Howerton playing Fred. So three of the four main cast are people of color in the series. So it, you know, course corrects this problem of, you know, Scooby-Doo being extremely white. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, audiences hated that series <laughs> and Absolutely the hated it. creative and liberties it, was, it took. Right. Which I, it, from my recollection of it, was not connected to... Um, the Scooby-Doo gang not being white. It was more connected to just like the writing and how the series ended up. I don't, yeah, I, again, I didn't watch it because it just seemed so (laughs) nuclear. Maybe it was good. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I remember like there being an initial wave of excitement of like, oh, this historically like white group of teenagers, like they're, um, like they're diversifying this cast in Mm -hmm. a way that makes total sense. Um, but then I do remember there being conversation around, um, handling the queerness of the group was considered to be fumbled all this other stuff mm-hmm. we didn't but that's not what we're talking about no, yeah. today but but all that to say the fact that there was a massive wave of scooby-dooby discourse <laughs> within the last calendar year uh-huh. these characters people care they do people care about what's going on with these damn kids um yeah i think that this was um in conclusion i think this was a movie that was uh was formative and also um, one where I just like the women are, um, they're really, they're really doing something. They're really doing something cool in this movie. I just remember being like, wow, Linda Cardellini sweater. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And I'm thinking about it. Um, all right, let's talk about, oh, and also like, uh, for, because I think we will be talking about this, uh, at length within the, um, conversation after the recap, mm-hmm. this is directed by Raja Gosnell and screenplay and story by James Gunn, who yeah. has spoken about this movie extensively. He is later famous for doing guardians of the galaxy. He's currently in charge of that man. Like Mr. DC. Uh, yeah. Has encountered his, you know, share of, um, you know, public humiliation in the way that I feel like anyone who gets remotely near superhero properties does. Mm -hmm. But in general, seems to be a pretty beloved writer and certainly loves talking about Mm Scooby-Doo. So we're going to be getting into that Scooby-Dooby discourse. But first. Yes. First a break, and then we will come back for the recap. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Is there any... It's Rut Row, it's Scooby-Dooby-Doo, it's Zoinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, it's Zoinks. Okay. Uh-huh. Zoinks, what happens in this movie case? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, we are in coolsville usa Mm. (laughs) ever heard of it (laughs) i just like it's so scooby-dooby goofy Mm -hmm. i just love how like brain dead some of it is i love yeah coolsville yes (laughs) perfect we open on mystery inc aka like the scooby gang solving a A group of bisexual teenagers (laughs) Yes, and their large dog who can talk. Yeah. They are solving a mystery at a toy factory. Of course, it's Shaggy, played by Matthew Lillard. Fred is Freddie Prince Jr. Velma is Linda Cardellini. Daphne is Sarah Michelle Gellar. And of course, Scooby-Doo, and he's voiced by Neil Fanning. Yeah, who is not our normal Scooby. I think we would normally have, um, oh gosh, Frank with... Mm. not your normal scooby (laughs) yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay so they stop this guy old man smithers who is pretending to be a ghost Mm -hmm. and he's like i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids cloud uh, yet another phrase Mm -hmm. intrinsically connected to the scooby universe Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of people show up including pamela anderson God. And it's quote unquote her fault that old man Smithers did this whole thing to begin with because she wouldn't go out with him. Frank and so now Welker. Frank oh. Welker. And I only say that because we have talked about him on the show before. He's like a legendary voice actor. Yes. And I love voice actors. Okay, Frank Welker, but this is not Frank Welker. Let's go back to the discussion. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Pamela Anderson is there because it's her toy factory, question mark. Okay. Not sure. Yeah, she's a girl boss at the toy factory. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so everyone's like, wow, good job. 
Mystery Inc. This was a this was a big thing for movies of 2002 because if we're talking about like goofy children's movies of 2002, mm-hmm. unavoidable or avoidable until I'm forcing the discussion is uh, Master of Disguise starring Dana Carvey comes out uh-huh. in this same stretch of time. We've got Scooby Doo coming out in June, Master of Disguise on its heels August 2nd, 2002. Wow. Uh, and that movie also opens with a nostalgic to children meaningless uh, mm-hmm. reveal of a famous woman in in Master of Disguise. It's Bo Derek. She mm. rips off a rubber mask with James Brolin, and and she's Bo Derek. And that's you know that's for parents, I guess. Yes. This is. I think that we're getting kind of a lot of. Uh, and I I I have a quote for this uh, later in the episode, but. Um, this movie, I think you can very clearly trace its lineage to mm-hmm. coming off the success of Shrek. Shrek changed mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. We know this to be true. I really mm-hmm. do feel like it comes up on the show at least once a month. Shrek <laughs> changed everything because now mm-hmm. you have to have uh, jokes for parents as well. And that becomes like very inherent to what popular children's media is. And I think that you can really, really see that reflected in Scooby-Doo, which comes out the following year. And James Mm -hmm. Gunn, oh God, he used this very funny turn of phrase. Oh, he said, in the heat of Shrek. That's what he said. (laughs) Excuse me? In the heat of Shrek. It's like in the heat this of the, the night. This is the kind of movie you would but get. But it's in the heat of Shrek. <laughs> but in the heat of Shrek. I, but there is, I think that that's like, there are, there's a quality to these like children's movies of the early 2000s that are like a little raunchier than, than they even are now mm-hmm. um, if, due to the heat of Shrek. <laughs> um, wow. And, so- and Shrek makes me feel like I'm in heat. So, you know. Caitlin. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's I'm so (laughs) Okay. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. We're in the first scene of the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So Mystery Inc. solves the mystery. Everyone's like, wow, good job. And Fred is like, Yeah, I basically did everything. And so Velma is upset with Fred for taking credit for her plan. I, and she decides to quit. I really like the choice of dynamics between characters. I think there's room for more, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. But I, I kind of, because I'd seen this movie a bunch of times, but easily not in at least like five years. And I kind of forgot that like uh, Fred and Velma have a, a, a bit of a power struggle. But it makes mm-hmm. sense with their characters. And I, and I, I liked it. Yeah, same. Yeah. So Velma quits. Then Daphne, who does not like that she's the one who's always getting kidnapped and damseled, mm-hmm. also quits. Okay. And then Fred quits because everyone else is quitting. So now it's just Shaggy and Scooby. Mm-hmm. We cut to two years later. Uh, Shaggy and Scooby are living on the beach. They're just chilling. They're, you know, they're just... They're vibing. Vamping, maybe. They're vamping? <laughs> Isn't that what you would used to... <laughs> what? <laughs> there never mind. no there was a phrase that you have said on the podcast like probably honestly seven years ago they're vamping where... I, I couldn't have said that what was the, okay what was i trying to express <laughs> at that time like just chilling lamping and you, lamping, lamping. <laughs> and even that now makes me sound 
ancient crusty dead that's so yeah. <laughs> yeah that was like what you would say if you were like hanging out with your friends in 2009 it's because and that's from a movie that we haven't covered and i don't think we ever need to um napoleon dynamite that's where that comes from oh Just i did not realize that was the source of it. Okay, so... I love lamp. Lamping is that. Vamping is just like what you do when you're on stage and you need to kill time. And the next comedian is still not <laughs> arrived. Um, right. Vaping wow. is what they would have been doing if you could show that and the movie took place 20 years later. What they are doing is smoking mm-hmm. weed in a van for two years, but that they're not allowed... You know, you're not allowed to show but that. It's, but in the heat of yeah. Shrek, you can imply it. In the heat of <laughs> Shrek, you can imply it. You just can't show it. Yes. Okay. So they're not vamping. They're lamping. Well, they are kind of just killing time until the rest of Mystery until Inc. shows something up. something happens. Yeah. <laughs> they're really but like they're waiting chilling. out the plot. Yeah. Right, right, they're right. They're eating. They're snacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're not detectives anymore More. until they're approached by someone who wants them to come to an amusement park called Spooky Island. <sighs> Because there's a mystery at the park that needs solving. Another brainless then... title for a location. And you're like, mm, the only way this could get better is if Mr. Bean was on the island. Well. Well, guess what, baby? But first we go, we go to the, the airport and we see the gang reunite, which is important and formative because of Daphne's suitcases matching her dress. Yes, yes. Yes. The other members of Mystery Inc. have also received letters inviting them to Spooky Island. None of them know that the other members of the group were going to be there, and so they kind of reluctantly board the flight to Spooky Island. Mm -hmm. On the plane, Shaggy meets a woman named Mary Jane, played by by Isla Fisher. Incredible that (laughs) that is (laughs) what she's doing in this movie. Uh, Mary Jane, again, we're in the heat of Shrek. Yes. And these things will happen. Uh-huh. And Mary Jane and Shaggy have a lot in common. And they're flirting. They're vibing. <laughs> they're lamping, maybe, even. And We have to get it. We have to stop saying it. We have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so they arrive on Spooky Island and meet Emile Mondavarius, oh. a.k.a. Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. AKA Mr. Bean. We do quick, have I mentioned this on the show? I think about it um, frequently. As a big James A. Caster fan, mm-hmm. do you know where I'm going with this? Oh, yes. The okay. I mm-hmm. love James A. Caster. He, um, whatever he's doing right now, I wish him well. Mm-hmm. He released an amazing special, and I think like 2020 or 2021, mm-hmm. I think it was like called like Cold Lasagna 1998, Want to Kill Myself. Something like uh, yeah. that. The thrust of this. Oh, the thrust? Caitlin? Mm-hmm. The thrust of the special um, uh-huh. involves him after like years, I think close to a decade, mm-hmm. disclosing that his one-time fiance left him mm-hmm. for Mr. Bean mm-hmm. and how as a comedian, it was a very challenging secret to keep <laughs> due to the fact that it was a devastating to his life and b being left for mr bean is kind of the funniest way to be abandoned by someone you love to be like sorry (laughs) i've fallen in love with mr bean i'm pregnant with mr bean's baby and greg and with mr with mr mr greg bean (laughs) and anyways um i wish them the best mr bean's still married to to 
this, I'm not, I'm not going to give her government name, you know, mm-hmm. like, but, but I just remember, I mean, it's a great special. And I also was like, wow, James Acaster, classy for keeping that under your hat for 10 years. Yeah. I don't think I would have been su- that successful if, if, if my beloved had, uh, had run out on me from, from one <laughs> Mr. Bean. Um, anyways, yeah. Mr. Bean's on the island. Yes. And he's not acting silly. And so we're like, mm, something's up. Hmm. So he believes, he runs the amusement park, Spooky Island. Mm-hmm. And I think the island is also called Spooky Island. I'm not sure. Anyway. We don't know. He believes that someone is casting a magic spell on the college students who go to the park for spring break. And he believes this because they arrive all lively and excited, but when they leave, they're like kind of zombie-esque. They're like just, you know, dull and quiet. They're also just kind of like boring. They leave boring. Right. Yeah. They don't leave. They're like, I think the subtext to it is like they arrive slutty. They leave not slutty. <laughs> they're not horny and I don't when they leave. Right. <laughs> You're just like, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. What, what a quandary for Mr. Bean. <laughs> right. So the Scooby gang gets to work on solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. Velma goes to an event. I'm not sure. Where this guy, Nagu Tauna, is pissed at Emil for building his park on this land and disturbing and displacing these like creatures slash ancient beings who lived on the island Mm -hmm. and the island is a thoroughfare to a supernatural realm and we'll talk all about that representation yes in a bit one of the major weaknesses of Mm -hmm. a fun movie yes um, so now Nagu is a suspect. Yes. On a different part of the island, Daphne is investigating and runs into this man who is doing a quote-unquote voodoo ritual. We will also talk yeah. about how that is represented. Mm-hmm. And he's like, definitely do not go into the spooky island castle. And so she's like, well, obviously I have to go there now. Meanwhile, Scooby is being lured into the creepy forest with the promise of a bag of hamburgers. And while he's there, he gets attacked. Classic Scooby. (laughs) Yes. He gets attacked by some kind of monster. Mm -hmm. And he escapes and rushes over to Shaggy, who, again, is still flirting and vibing with Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. And then Daphne also shows up and she's like, okay, we got to go check out this castle. Mm-hmm. So they go to the castle. Fred and Velma are already there scoping things out. And it turns out to be this ride that's closed for maintenance. And the group uh-huh. splits up to search the castle for clues. Mm-hmm. Now, Fred and Velma find what appears to be a brainwashing facility for a cult. Yep. Shaggy and Scooby find the set of a TV show, and then they have a burping and farting contest there. Also, does that set ever come back in any way? Not that I could tell, no. And I (laughs) do think, I mean, I guess that that is just like, again, I mean, mean, it is uh, maybe creatively foolish to have Scooby and norville shaggy rogers you know like Mm -hmm. in the mix and not 
farting farts and burps yeah yeah it's kind of their whole their whole thing caitlin well i mean come on and in the heat of shrek and in the heat of shrek of people burping and farting foaming for a burping and farting extravaganza in fact i'm on imdb right now Mm -hmm. brag Wow. Um, going to the tags. The tags for Scooby-Doo 2002. Mm-hmm. First tag, farting contest. Wow. Second tag, 2000s. Third tag, strong female character. Fourth tag, <laughs> well, <okay>. fart. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yes. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of... It, which, I mean, if, you, if, if those aren't Shrekian tags as well. I mean, you could argue that. You could. Yes. You certainly could. Okay, so the farting contest is happening. Meanwhile, Daphne finds this little, like, pyramid-shaped relic of some kind. And so they all leave the castle and start doing further research. Velma goes to some kind of, like, restaurant, lounge place to study the relic, which she thinks is something called the Damon Ritus. And... This guy approaches her, who's going to kind of be her love interest, sort of, but we never learn his name. This guy? I don't think. He couldn't be more script notes if he tried. (laughs) Right. This is a guy who wanders out of the ether. He may not even be alive and tries to force Velma Dinkley into, like, it's like Gili. It's like Gili what he's doing. (laughs) He's, He's just, he's like, no canonically gay you know since clarified canonically gay character uh-huh. you are my girlfriend and she's like oh, oh okay boo boo <laughs> to the nameless script notes guy yeah well she tells him about mystery ink and we get this flashback of the scooby gang in the mystery machine and scrappy doo is there and he Ugh, and and now and now I'm really booing because I do you hate Scrappy Doo? Can we all agree we hate Scrappy Doo? Yeah, yeah, I do. Ugh. I do. D O O. He's a, a B I T C H. Whoa. Okay. Anyway, he pisses all over Daphne. <laughs> yeah. So they kick him out of the group. He pisses all over. Did you hear that sentence? Yeah. Scrappy Doo. Huge. Oh, I hate Scrappy-Doo. And even as a kid, I think kids find Scrappy-Doo grating, mm-hmm. obnoxious. He talks in his little, wah, 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 wah. He's, Scooby-Doo is his uncle and he's disrespectful to him. Mm-hmm. See, I, I guess, have mixed feelings because while the character is, you know, annoying and not a good person, not a good dog. Bad dog. But- <laughs> bad dog but it's revealed that he has he's not a puppy which i think is maybe commonly assumed that he is because he's small but it's like um but they're like he's not even a small. puppy he has a gland disorder and then all the characters laugh at him for it they're like making fun of him for something he can't help so that i again i canonically choose to believe that that was a script note to make scrappy more sympathetic to audiences Mm. because he is i because i do i mean that on its face absolutely ableist yeah but that is not canonical to the character of scrappy doo what Mm -hmm. is canonical to the character of scrappy doo is being annoying and i oh oh he just pisses me off and 
I have a specific when he gets jacked at the end of the movie. Spoiler <sighs> alert. Uh-huh. When he gets jacked, that CG uh, has never sat well with me. So scary. Honestly, some of the worst CG that 2002 had to offer. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just because they had a low budget. No. But this had an $84 million budget. No. They they could have and they didn't. And it requires, <laughs> it requires, uh, there should there should have been a federal investigation about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we learn about, we meet, you know, Scrappy-Doo on screen in this movie for the first time and he gets kicked out of the group we cut back to the present and suddenly monsters attack and abduct fred and velma because monsters are real question mark we don't maybe no but i think yes i don't know i think in this world yes which is you know we we don't have time to get into it (laughs) right debate amongst yourselves Mm -hmm. so Fred and Velma have been abducted. So now it's up to Daphne, Shaggy, Scooby, and also Mary Jane is there to solve the mystery and save their friends. Also, Mary Jane is there. It does sort of sum up how that character is treated throughout the movie. (laughs) Right. Um, She's there. Also, she is there. But the next day, after they've like all passed out on the beach for some reason, everything seems back to normal as if there was no monster attack. And then Sugar Ray is there putting on a concert and 90s icon Mark McGrath. He's up to something. (laughs) He starts singing to Daphne, but then she notices that his eyes have this green glow. Yeah, because he has supernatural powers, (laughs) Dodoy. Oh, I forgot about that cameo. What a Mm. treat for Mark McGrath to have his eyes start glowing green. trying to get Sarah Michelle Geller to fall for his little tricks mm-hmm. like just really un- unbelievable stuff. I I yeah. I really enjoyed it. So his eyes are green. Sure. Which is the color of Shrek. You know, I bet originally in the heat of Shrek. <laughs> in the heat of Shrek you're going to want to make things green. I bet it was red originally. Exactly. But they're like no 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 green green is <laughs> green is the warmest color in 2002 in the heat of Shrek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget it. Um, okay, so Shaggy <laughs> finds Fred, whose eyes are also glowing green. Oh, no. Along with basically all the other people on the island, because they're possessed, and then they're also talking in a way that feels very culturally appropriative Yes, for some reason. We will, we will get back to that, too, yeah. But they are also trying to possess Shaggy and Scooby, who escape on a pair of four-wheelers. Mm. And they link back up with Mary Jane, but oh no, Scooby sees that she has green eyes too. And when he tries to tell Shaggy about it, Shaggy doesn't believe him. Mm. And so they kind of like have a fight and then they all end up in this cave where Shaggy finds this like well type thing. There's a lot of where... plot. There's a lot of plot in this area and you're just sort of like, uh uh-huh. <laughs> so there's this well where all of the possessed the people who have been possessed they're like spirits slash souls slash protoplasms are swimming around mm-hmm. and shaggy finds valma's spirit and releases it so it can return to her body and then the monster that was possessing Velma's body is kind of like forced out and explodes in the sunlight. So she realizes that 
these monsters need human bodies to survive and like walk around in the sunlight, Mm -hmm. which is why they're possessing all of these college kids. Mm -hmm. Shaggy then also saves Fred and Daphne. And then there's this body swap scene where the protoplasms return to the wrong bodies. And it is, it's, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll circle back to that scene as well, but like the, it, 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 felt very of the era where whenever um, one of the men's spirits would be transported into mm. a woman's body, you would hear, it just was very like uh, prescriptive where it's like the men's spirits would always be like, hey, this is my personality. Uh, but mm-hmm. when it was the women's spirit, when it was a man's spirit going into one of the, into Daphne or Velma's body, it's, it was like, mm. look at my boobs i'm gonna like it's just it was very like creepy or like daphne don't you eat anything what's wrong that was like oh my god saying that to a young woman in 2002 are you that's not Mm. it's not funny one of the most fucking evil times for talking about women's bodies in the last (sighs) you know century it's just it's just very ugly behavior. Um, yeah, that whole mm-hmm. sequence. While I think that there were interesting opportunities for that sequence, sure, fell flat for me. Agree. Also reminded me of a similar sequence in Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Yes, yes, and it was also um, a little bit Freaky Friday. Although that's you know just between uh, mother and a daughter, but just mm-hmm. if there's any body swap with a person with breasts. They're going to grope themselves. Yes. And the implications will be complicated and it will not be very fun to watch. Uh, yeah, that scene was, was a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, so eventually everyone ends up in the right body and Velma figures out that the creatures are about to perform the Darkopolis ritual, another incredible naming convention. Yep. Great turn of phrase. (laughs) Where the leader, whoever the leader is, needs to absorb a purely good soul to complete the ritual. And once the ritual is performed, the creatures will rule the world for 10,000 years. And who's got a pure soul? Oh, well, of course it's Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Ruby-Roo. Even (laughs) though he did bully his nephew, but outside of that, Mm -hmm. pretty pure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they realize that Emil Mondavarius must be behind the whole thing since he invited Scooby and the gang to the island. Mm-hmm. So they go back to the cave to try to stop the ritual and save Scooby-Doo, who has been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. But they get caught and Scooby's spirit gets plucked out of his body. But Shaggy saves him, and it he knocks like, over Emil Mondavarius. When we're at the point in the movie where it's like, oh, the stakes are Scooby-Doo's very soul. <laughs> yeah. The soul, the eternal soul of Doo. I was just like, <laughs> this movie is like unbelievably great. I had a, a list of things that happen in order of intensity and how much they shocked me. Uh-huh. Mr. Bean wants Scoobert to take advantage of his pure soul. That's a meeting mm-hmm. that takes place. And there's a great <laughs> shot where Scooby-Doo is smiling at a picture of himself. <laughs> yes. 
And I'm laughing. Next, mm-hmm. Mr. Bean wants Scooby to sacrifice himself to yeah. God, basically. Mm-hmm. Then Mr. Bean wants to absorb Scooby-Doo's soul so he can live forever. Mm-hmm. And then, what we're about to get to, Freddie Prince Jr. pulls off Mr. Bean's face to reveal that he's a Chuck E. Cheese animatronic robot. Yes, and the person inside, or the being inside, is Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy-Doo. And we're like, Mr. Bean was scrappy do and yeah. what does that mean in in the context of the James A. Caster story? Well, well, and then it's I'm getting ahead of myself here, but it's revealed that there is actually a guy named Emil Mondavarius, and Scrappy Doo had been like hiding him in a dungeon for the past two years. <laughs> Unlike, we can't even talk about the political implications of what took place on Spooky Island, like. <laughs> It is just absolutely, um, it's sick. It's sick yeah. what was done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Scrappy-Doo turns out to be the bad guy, and he has absorbed enough souls to turn into this big, muscular monster dog thing, and he's trying to kill Scooby and the others. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, Daphne has escaped, and she like goes up onto the mountain and opens the vents to let the sunlight in. Mm-hmm. But there's this luchador guy who I forgot to mention earlier. But yeah. he's friends with he's out and about. Nagu. Yeah. And he shows up. And so she fights him because she's no longer the damsel in distress. She's <sighs> it's Buffy cheap. the Vampire Slayer. It's a cheap Slayer. move. It's a cheap move. But, mm. you know, yes. we, were, we were cheering. So she's fighting him. And she opens up the vent and the light comes in and then down below the others are able to stop scrappy doo this is when they find the real emile mondavarius everyone reunites some people kiss each other or they're like canoodling and the possessed college kids go back to normal and the day is saved and then the movie ends with shaggy and scooby eating a big meal the end classic them <laughs> do 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 we're gonna take a quick break but we'll rewrite right <sighs> happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride and the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. 
I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're rack. We're rack. Mm-hmm. With your permission, I would like to start this discussion. Yeah. With the uh, discussion of queerness within the Scooby Doo universe. Please. So there's a. Uh, Quite a, a bit to discuss here. I think, like, as we sort of alluded to earlier in the episode, there is a fair amount of um, just, like, uh, lore as far as it goes. Uh, I think the characters who have been most famously queer-coded in the crew, I think Velma is the most popularly discussed one. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the show's initial release, um there was always, I guess, sort of an undercurrent of questioning what her sexuality was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's reasonable in a children's cartoon. To, like, it wasn't addressed. Uh, and I don't think that at the time it would have ever been. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the main... Not in that era. Certainly not. And and what you did know, I think because you have in this group, you have like four very specific types that makes sense for 1969. You have a stoner, you have a quote unquote, like nerdy girl, you have a popular girl and you have a jock, Mm -hmm. all very typed characters. But um, what I think is cool is like, you don't usually see these characters as like being close friends. Right. However, inside of that, the quote unquote, cool guy and cool girlfriend, Daphne, they're always paired together. Mm -hmm. That is very much implied within this movie as well to the point where they cast a married couple as Fred and Daphne right and Um, then they kiss at the end so and then they kiss at the end I mean it's and and that's very inherent to who those characters have been speculated to be um Mm -hmm. but I think that Scooby-Doo 2002 and Scooby-Dooby scholars I'm sure could trace this earlier but starting in Scooby-Doo 2002 this at least was attempted to be like these long discussions um, because there also was discussion of potential queer coding for Fred. Mm. That This was sort of the first time that um, this was even attempted <laughs> to be uh, addressed in the Scooby-Dooby Dooniverse. Mm-hmm. So... What that means is, and and James Gunn uh, addressed this in a 2020 Twitter thread, uh, because he just, the man loves to talk. <laughs> there there were two characters who were in uh, planned to be explicitly queer to some extent. The Fred, uh, the Fred's character is a little more complicated, so I'll get to that in a second. But mm-hmm. uh, James Gunn says in 2020, 
In 2001, Velma was explicitly gay in my initial script, but the studio just kept watering it down and watering it down, becoming ambiguous, the version shot, then nothing, the released version, and finally having a boyfriend, the sequel. Although I would argue that she's basically given a boyfriend in the original as well. Right. Um, And then the sequel, Seth Green shows up and he becomes her love interest. And, you know, and I have no comment. (laughs) I have no comment to uh, my dear friend Seth Green. Mm -hmm. And and later, like, Linda Cardellini would also comment on this. All of the actors, I think that the difference between, I feel like there is this tendency for writers, creators in general to, like, course correct their work in retrospect to be like, oh, Mm. well, I actually, like, I think that the most popular example from one of the worst people of all time was when J.K. Rowling originally was like, actually, Mm -hmm. Dumbledore was gay. I just didn't write it down, but... (laughs) Uh I meant to, and you're just like, okay, evil, be quiet. Mm -hmm. But I think that this story is actually different because the actors all corroborated this, and there was stuff shot. It was written in the heat of Shrek. Uh, Uh I think that James Gunn's script was approved as a more, I mean, problematic in its own ways, but even just an attempt at LGBT representation at all um, Mm -hmm. in 2002 in a kid's movie would have been you know, different and it it, sure. it would have meant something. Um, but it was all cut out and Mr. Script Notes was added and, and mm-hmm. all of this. Um, Linda Cardellini has also commented on this. She said, Velma has been around since 1969. I just went trick-or-treating with my daughter and there were a lot of Velmas out there. And so I love that she still has a, this place in culture that is always sort of active for decades. I think her being a lesbian has been hinted at so many times and I think it's great that it's finally out there which is in response to the mm-hmm. first time that Velma Dinkley was um, explicitly stated as a queer character is in 2022, like exactly a year ago to uh-huh. the day we're recording this. Happy coming out anniversary to Velma um, in a uh, TV movie called Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo. Um, she's depicted as a queer woman who has a crush on a character named Coco Diablo because of course, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not covering that movie. And then in the um, in the Mindy Kaling um, iteration, I believe she's bisexual. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe in the Mindy Kaling version, Daphne is also bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, Couldn't say don't know anything about it. Again, Scooby Dooby scholars sound off. Yeah. But I, I think that like the fact that truly like it's an interesting kind of yardstick to measure what is considered quote unquote acceptable in widespread children's media that it was literally just last year that um Velma was was a queer character in a way that like was not challenged uh yeah. but there were I, I think that um Scooby Doo 2002 is kind of the earliest meaningful attempt mm-hmm. from what I was able to gather Fred was also written to be a, a, a queer character. Uh, Freddie Prince, Prince Jr. has stated in interviews that that was what he was told when he took the part. And so his performance was, that was his performance. And then mm-hmm. it, the way that it was edited um, didn't honor that. But I do think it's interesting that the, the, the actors were playing queer characters, but the movie would not let them. Um, actually be those characters right um the scene that was shot and cut the i think most explicitly um that there was a a a kiss between daphne and velma Mm. apparently in this scene daphne and fred are together and they run into drunk velma 
when she's at the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, I guess, like flirting ambiguously. And it seems like she's actually flirting with Daphne. That's what got mm-hmm. shot. There was a kiss written into the script that never got shot. I see. And to conclude, mm-hmm. um, Sarah Michelle Geller also commented on this all the way back in 2002. Like, this is very, you know, inherent to this movie. Sarah mm-hmm. Michelle Geller told Sci-Fi Wire in 2002 that a Velma and Daphne kissing scene was cut out from the film. Quote, it wasn't just like for fun. Initially in the soul swapping, Velma and Daphne could not seem to get their souls back together in the woods. And so the way they found was to kiss and the souls went back into the proper alignment, unquote. Mm-hmm. So that soul swapping scene that we discussed as not loving was also um, initially different and I guess significantly mm-hmm. rewritten. So... I think it is interesting. Um, I, I will sort of leave it to individual listeners to decide. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I I do think that that would have made a difference and certainly would have impacted the direction that the Scooby franchise took from there if mm-hmm. James Gunn's original script had been honored. Um, but right. it, I think it's just very frustrating and telling that um, this like simple... <laughs> choice that seemed like it would have been pretty consistent with um who the general public thought these characters to be um Mm -hmm. wouldn't be honored for another 20 years wild yeah and there's like additional coding with velma's character and then kind of how she's compared to Daphne because as you were saying the whole um you know these characters are very stereotyped as being you know one's the jock one's the smart girl one's the hot girl Mm -hmm. one's the stoner this movie honors those like very archetypal type of characters pretty in a way that's like not at all (laughs) challenged and I think it's just because like you know Daphne is like the hot one quote unquote who's like always being damseled and she's depicted as being not as smart as Velma because Velma's the smart one and she therefore cannot be hot also by the movie's logic and well I feel I feel like that was a little like complicated in the scope of the movie because it was like the movie acknowledged because it's like obviously these the girls are hot. Like, they're both... Right. <laughs> Be serious. Stop joking around. Stop fucking with me. I know. But the the way that I thought that was addressed, because it's like... It, I mean, Velma, I feel like, is very peak. Like, you would be so beautiful if you took like, your, off your glasses, girl. Mm-hmm. And, and that has always been true. Like, she's always been, like, an adorable character. And the way that it's addressed in this movie is that... Fred at one point says to Velma like that he's like no I get it like you're you're also hot he says dorky girls like you turn me on too yeah and she and like, like wow, scoffs at it wow. and then he's like what it's a compliment <laughs> that uh that was a disaster I think that's as close as the movie comes to acknowledging that like these women are both gorgeous um mm-hmm. but yeah like it, like you're saying like plays into the stereotypes surrounding the stock characters that I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the movie did better than I was expecting. 
expecting it to off of memory, just in the, I don't know, the weird middle place where I, I felt, I had feelings about this surrounding the recent Barbie movie as well, where um, it felt like the movie had a real vested interest in commenting on the perception of a long-standing character more so than presenting this is who this character is and they're fully realized it's more like mm-hmm. very like self-aware kind of writing where you're like well I know how everyone thinks of Barbie as like a bimbo who can't do anything so I'm going to present that image and then challenge it throughout the course of the movie or mm-hmm. like with I think that that is like pretty I guess more so with Daphne but like presents Daphne as like mm-hmm. well we all think of Daphne as this damsel in distress but what if she had a problem with that and then that's her that's her journey throughout the movie which I don't really mm-hmm. have a problem with it just it seems like um it's like a step towards being able to do something more with that character is like addressing right. I don't know there's more there's plenty of ways to handle that but like addressing the public perception pushing the character through that public perception and then hopefully mm-hmm. moving them on to something cooler. Um, but I don't know. Da- Daphne's story I thought was interesting. I think it's like tricky because she is still presented as like not as smart as the rest of the group at different moments. Mm-hmm. But I I was, uh, you know, in the heat of Shrek, I was, <laughs> I guess, like gently impressed at how she did sort of like tackle people's assumptions about her fairly head on and mm-hmm. you know by the end of the movie had you know dismantled that view of her where like when the first time she says she has a black belt it's sort of implied that no one believes her mm-hmm. um and then at the end she um fights a luchador so <laughs> okay right which is <laughs> Which mirrors the evolution of her character and how it went in the various like series mm-hmm. where in the original animated series that, you know, premiered in the late sixties, she was very much just like danger prone, you know, she didn't seem to have a lot to contribute and she was always the one getting kidnapped but then later versions of the show made a change to her character so like versions that came out in the 90s and 2000s had her knowing martial arts and like being able to defend herself so cool like movie recognized that and was like okay we're gonna like kind of show that whole arc in this movie so yeah she opens up being damsel like in that opening scene she's not only been kidnapped but also the ghost i think it's implied that it keeps like touching her butt and yes it is and you're just like uh Uh, and it's presented uh, in a very like jokey way so that's yeah like of course this would happen right and then she's fed up with always being the damsel in distress so in the two years where the group has disbanded she has learned martial arts and um but then throughout a big chunk of the movie she's still i guess it's it's a matter of her you know being like i i can do this i'm not going to get captured again oops i did get captured and so there's like this it's definitely stop and go and mm-hmm. i like and i feel like there's a lot of ways to view it i yeah i it's, i i was struggling with that cuz you're like okay they're not really like you know, Mary suing her, but also 
it felt like it was playing her recapture as more of a joke than anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that if like if this storyline for Daphne was presented in a movie that came out today, I would be really exhausted by it. Right. Uh, because she's like, I'm not a damsel in distress. Uh. Um, <laughs> which I think at this point is like pretty overdone and hackneyed and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. for the time, I think that it was like, it's it's at least an interesting way to kind of publicly course correct the character as, I don't know, I, I think that they could have done more to be like, she's actually a very competent person and there's mm-hmm. a way, I think that the Barbie movie does this far more effectively of um, saying like hyper-femininity or even just traditionally feminine qualities and aesthetics does not equal weakness, does not equal um, incompetence, does not equal being lesser than. Mm-hmm. Which it, like the Daphne character, I think that that is like, that's where that is headed. And I like that it, they, they don't, you know, they don't sacrifice like what makes, what is important. Like she likes wearing purple and she likes having cool outfits and like <laughs> I love that for her mm-hmm. and I like that you know as she's proving that that it's not like I feel like sometimes you get sort of when um when women are you know asked to like step up and become leaders they have to they're asked to shed elements of right. who they are and it's like if that's something that you want to do great but it feels almost like the way to be taken seriously is to present more masculine Mm -hmm. and Daphne does not do that. Um, Barbie does not do that. Right. It's, it's it's like, I think a, a a worthwhile message, but yeah, the the way that she's characterized is very kind of, it was hit and miss for me scene to scene. For me, I didn't mind the arc of, you know, deciding she basically, she quits because she doesn't like that. She's always, being damseled or that that's like yeah it almost feels like commentary on the just what? the idea of being damseled did somebody say commentary, commentary? Ooh, <laughs> and okay you know she decides to take matters into her own hands but then applying the skills that she learned obviously is going to take some time to get used to and so she still is you know she's she's working out the kinks as the story goes but then by the end her arc is fully realized with that fight with the luchador who is in the movie for some reason and she kicks his ass and you know it's very a 2002 way to handle all of that but yeah i didn't mind it terribly I think a valiant attempt for 2002 in this arena. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised. And I think that like the the downsides of that, which based on James Gunn's, James Gunn's characterization, so we, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. we can't say for totally sure. But it seems like the, um, you know, Fred kiss at the end, I would guess that that studio notes because that felt pretty unconnected to what her journey throughout the movie was. Um, right. You don't even really see her and Fred interacting very much. Like no. Fred's main story very much has to do with this like ego, ego death in like acknowledging that Velma is a person who is smarter than him. Mm-hmm. So his story is unconnected to Daphne. So it's just, I think that like more so they're like, oh, we need, we need a series of heterosexual moments because it's the end of the movie. And right. th- these two characters are already publicly associated as husband and wife and also cartoon boyfriend girlfriend right makeup kiss yeah but even that that felt like 
I, I liked that Daphne's main story was, you know, like it is like a proto, like, but it, for a kid's movie in 2002, I think it works. And mm-hmm. I, um, I enjoyed Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance mm-hmm. and, and did I enjoy the outfits? Yes, uh-huh. I did. I love those damn outfits. Mm-hmm. Any other, any other thoughts on Daphne? Oh, you're wearing um, your Flubber Mambo t-shirt. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, I sure am. Oh. In the heat of Flubber. In the heat of Flubber. <laughs> another <laughs> another huge green influencing. I mean, what a I decade mean, for the color green. Mm, Flubber. Yeah. Trek. Jim Carrey Grinch. Whoa. All in the same five-year span. Incredible. Three-year span. 98, 2000, 2001. Wait, Flubber. Wow. Mm. Mind blowing. Kermit's impact. <laughs> yes. Well, let's uh, talk about Daphne. <laughs> or no, let's talk about Velma. Yes. Um, I similarly like that her arc is being frustrated that a man is taking credit for all of her work because she's mm-hmm. like recognizably the best at solving mysteries. <laughs> she is doing a lot of uh deductive reasoning she understands what a lot of clues mean she's it's doing her a whole lot thing. it's her whole thing she's always been the smartest person in the group right um i will say the detail that she in the two-year interim was kind of military industrial complexing they say she was developing missiles oh, yeah. for nasa right and you're like now that is a misapplication of Velma Dinkley's powers. I like to think that she is, she is uh, a, a leftist. She, I was like, why is she making missiles for the government? Imagine oh. being getting so mad at Freddie Prince Jr. that you pivot to making missiles for the government. I know. I also making missiles for NASA. That also feels like a mismatch because you're like, what is that? Missiles to like fire for- at aliens in outer space. It felt weird that they said she was making missiles for NASA. For NASA, yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> astronaut gang, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of like people with doctorates listen to this show because we're so... Intellectual? Just so fucking... Ins- yeah, we're just a really <laughs> well-educated show. Um, and that's why well, you're listening to this Well, I do have a master's two- degree well, in screenwriting from Boston University. Not that I'd ever mention it. I'm just saying that people that are geniuses want to listen to Scooby-Doo for two hours. Um, yeah. it, but she, I was like, bad practice for Velma developing missiles yes. in her yeah. off time. We will, we'll give it a pass this time, but in yeah. the, yeah, in, in the heat of mm-hmm. 9-11, mm-hmm. she's developing missiles. And I'm just like, yeah. these are, I don't, how old, I think they're supposed to be in like, I think they're supposed to be like college aged. So you're like, did Velma yes. vote for Bush? Oh. She's developing missiles, Caitlin. I mean, I mean, yeah. Daphne. I will say Daphne. I think <laughs> Daphne votes blue no matter who. I, I don't want to get into the politics of it. Shaggy's a libertarian, though. That much is obvious. Oh. That Shaggy. Oh, he's an independent thinker, which, but like he doesn't know what he's talking about, which is very libertarian. Coded. No, I. If anyone's a libertarian, I think it's Fred. I think Shaggy is a Green Party. Shaggy doesn't vote. He doesn't vote. <laughs> He's, and Scooby. Scooby, Scooby is an anarchist. Well, yeah, Scooby wants to burn it all down mm-hmm. because they don't let him vote. 
They yeah. don't let him vote. It's true. Um, also, Scooby, gender non-conforming icon in this movie. Before we get to Velma, there because she's developing missiles, she has to wait for a second. <laughs> Scooby, I don't have much to say about Scooby other than, I mean, check this guy out. He looks a little scary in this movie, but yeah. he's... That's not his fault. That's the fault of the bad CGI at the time. And Scooby is, you know, Scooby is a part of our lives, whether we like it or not, Scooby is a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Scooby does wear a dress. Scooby is uh, in grandma drag mm-hmm. during the playing scene. Yes. And, you know, of, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Uh, I think w- what was interesting about that scene was that Scooby's in grandma drag. First of all, everyone on at the airport thinks. falls for it. <laughs> falls for it <laughs> thinks. and thinks it's hot. They're like, this They're thing that's very visibly a dog in a dress. Dog. They're like, woohoo, a wooga. And then I think most interestingly, Scooby punches Fred in the face <laughs> in Grandma Drag. And uh-huh. it is never commented on. It doesn't come back. Fred, There's in- no consequence. Fred just goes, ow. Well, he initiates <gasps> the violence. He flicks Scooby on the nose. Scooby I responds Scooby, by punching him. That was out of pocket from Scooby. That, <laughs> yeah. Not that it was like, you know, the flick, certainly an invasion of personal space, but Scooby really decks Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I was laughing when I was, when I was yeah. a child. Sure. I'm laughing when Scooby punches Fred in the face. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Scooby gender non-conforming icon scooby's self-confidence icon because when he's told he's pure of heart scooby's not fighting it he's like Mm. yeah that tracks that makes sense scooby you know has some work to do as an uncle but he's on the journey Mm -hmm. i love scooby and i really uh i don't really have anything to it's not relevant to our discussion um commenting on how much i like the scene between matthew lillard and Scooby, when he's mm-hmm. like, Scooby, you're my best friend. I'm not going to let Mr. Bean do this to you. But I teared up. I thought it was really nice. Oh, and I think their friendship, yeah. I mean, Scooby and Shaggy, they're special together. They're That's special true. together. I know. And I love them. <laughs> All right, let's go back to Velma. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Velma is fed up with this man taking credit for her work. Yep. And she quits. Then Fred's arc becomes about learning to respect Velma and recognize and acknowledge her contributions to the group and to stop taking credit for her work. Mm-hmm. The bar is very low here. And yet. But that is his arc. <laughs> and yet we're cheering and we're clapping when it happens. Yes. Um, we're like, yay. <laughs> yeah, we are really conditioned to accept very little from Fred here because I, I like found myself on my first watch congratulating Fred on things that were like nonsensical. I'm like, wow, he acknowledged that Vilma is a, an attractive person. <laughs> and you're just like, why am I giving fred credit for nothing yeah but yeah his arc is that he like learns to concede some of the credit i don't really remember within i don't know i guess i just never had hopefully scooby fans won't take this personally i never had a a, a very vested interest in fred Uh, i would say Hmm. if i'm ranking the characters he is dead last wait rank them rank them really quick and include scooby Oh my goodness. Well, go. It's important. <laughs> um, Scooby number 1. Uh, good. 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 Keep going. I would say 
Velma number two, mm-hmm. Daphne number three, mm-hmm. Shaggy. I, maybe this and is Shaggy's gonna. Still great, but he is he. I find him kind of irritating. Are you ranking Fred above Shaggy? No, but oh, Fred okay. is last. But I just don't have a lot of respect for for Shaggy. Although I do relate. Wow, to his... you're like Shaggy needs to get his ass up and work. <laughs> Shaggy, I do relate to, to his interest in food. I like that he's always hungry. I'm always hungry. Wow. You're like Shaggy, lazy, but lazy, lazy. It's more that I uh-huh. just, <laughs> I don't know. Would I want to date Shaggy? No. Do I want to date Fred? Well, that's no. not what's on. I'm not. That's no, no, not no. what's on. But, uh, but, but how fuckable is Shaggy to you? No one asked. <laughs> no one asked. Although I think I have dated a kind of a series of Shaggy types. Uh, yeah. To the point where the person I'm currently dated, dating showed up to my house the other day, accidentally. You know, like accidental minion when someone's wearing yellow top mm-hmm. and jeans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Accidental Shaggy. Oh, green shirt, brown pants. Green shirt, corduroy pants. Wow. Scary. Wow. Scary. Awesome. But Well, maybe he was trying to look like Shrek. But then you're going to need to get a vest. And for Mm -hmm. someone to have a vest, it is just so (laughs) Shrek intentional. Um, So Shrekian, if you will. Yes. In the Shrekian heat. Um, (laughs) my, My rankings are the same as yours, except I am swapping Daphne and Velma. Okay. But yeah, obviously Scooby number one. Mm-hmm. Let's not play around. I love a talking He's... animal. Paddington, hello. See, I don't even like a talking animal. I love Scooby. Ruby, Ruby, Roo. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only because he like he talks. Scooby, hmm, as a character uh-huh. in this tone poem, Scooby only speaks when he has something to say. He's not just running his Slapping mouth. Slapping those gums. And I really appreciate that. In a character, I appreciate when he's he is careful. Mm-hmm. He 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 can speak English as a dog. He can speak <laughs> English, but he's not. You know, he's not waxing poetic. He's selecting about his words very carefully, and that's not to say he doesn't have a very rich interior life because you know he does. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot going on in that big old dog cranium of his. Although. Uh, there is one Although? thing he says that I did not like one bit. What did he and say? And it's when he's trying to convince Shaggy that Mary Jane is actually a monster. And Shaggy is like, nah, I don't believe you. First of all, believe Scooby's. Secondly, Scooby's response to that is saying, you're whipped. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, who told Scooby? what that means who taught him that and you know maybe not to call shaggy out as a bad you know parent slash friend but i bet mm-hmm. shaggy taught him that there were you, you think scooby mm-hmm. learned that on the beach where, where i think scooby was... learned it from fred oh <gasps> very possible very possible yeah the and i think that that is i'm grateful i mean i not that i think that the concept of being quote-unquote whipped has made its way out of media entirely i do think that phrase mm-hmm. has has sort of gone the way gone the way of in... jim carrey grinch it's not around anymore <laughs> had a moment I do, it did but i haven't heard it in over a decade i think i think yeah so. and i think i think that that is 
that's, you know, that's something. I was kind of jarred to hear that phrase because I was like, oh, I, I know. kind of forgot that was a thing. And why is Scooby-Doo saying it? And why oh, was it really so pervasive that Scooby-Doo could say it? And that Shaggy mm-hmm. would be insulted by it? Because I think something that is nice about Shaggy in general is that mm-hmm. he is a... Um, and also, you know, I'm ranking him four out of five. But the mm-hmm. first three are so strong. I like Shaggy a lot. And I think that, like... He is a very emotionally generous and empathetic character in ways that men are not often depicted as being. Um, this is he true. Is, he is effusive in all of his friendships with people of all genders. And in this relationship with Mary Jane, while she is a non-character, as we'll get to, is like he's like openly liking her. He's not playing the Fred game. He's not negging her. He's True. like, and so yeah. Again, for like the whipped thing to be introduced and for Shaggy to be insulted, it also just felt like out of character because you're like, I don't think Shaggy for really both of them. gives a shit. Yeah, like what's getting into these boys? They're such they're, they're such nice guys. Well, it's these creatures that it's the monsters. It's, all this. it's the monsters that were unleashed. Um, yeah, so that, that I found to be, that was not Scooby's best moment, but I have to Mm -hmm. believe that he grew from it Mm -hmm. and I, oh, Scooby. All right. Velma. Okay. So Velma, um, yeah, I, I do also like, and it feels very of the time, um, and in that same sort of like mission that it seems like James Gunn had that we've been talking about of addressing, just like the popular tropes or the popular opinions around this character and attempting to challenge them, which it seems like having her be explicitly queer in this movie was an extension of that mission. Mm-hmm. But barring that, like addressing like how she is always been considered to be the smartest person of the group, but is not considered to be the leader. And why is that? And like exploring mm-hmm. that through the story, I think is a really smart move. Mm-hmm. And I I like, I mean, I don't know. I still think that Fred ends up a little bit too on top for my taste towards Mm -hmm. at at the end of the movie. Um, And that, yeah, the conclusion of this movie just in general is tricky because I like Velma's journey. I obviously don't like Script Notes' boyfriend, but he's barely Mm -hmm. there. He kind of is just there to like set up a flashback and then comes back at the end. Yeah. And I also don't, I mean, at the beginning, in a way that um, I think that even though you don't get you know, the, um, intended, I guess, undercurrent that you're, that was intended between Daphne and Velma. I think they have like a kind of a smaller, but interesting story going on as well, where at the beginning of the movie, Velma is kind of on the, like, I don't take Daphne seriously train. Like she says, you practically come with your own Mm -hmm. ransom note. Like she's Mm -hmm. very much on the side of Fred when it comes to Daphne standing up for herself. Mm -hmm. Um, And she and Daphne later on, once the monsters are unleashed, Mm -hmm. have that scene together where they figure something out together. And it's like by the end of the movie, Velma, I think has come around on, not taking Daphne seriously and challenging her own assumptions about her friends. And it's like, okay, so kiss, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> but I, I did appreciate that. I mean, it was like a smaller arc, but um, that Velma starts sort of, I mean, it's like you see those dynamics in real life of like 
there are, you know, two women in this group and uh, one is turning on the other to try to gain favor of the shitty men that they're surrounded Mm. by. It's a dynamic that definitely exists. It sucks, but it exists. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that is sort of hinted at within this group. And then Velma, um, to some extent, realizes the error of her ways. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like, and, and like Linda Cardellini is a great Velma. True. Trope that is addressed in a way that I did not think was productive and was just like showing the thing was you'd be so pretty if you took off your glasses. The sequence in which Velma's glasses are off, uh, she's more sexualized immediately. Well, and this happens to an even greater extent in the sequel where she's trying to impress Seth Green. So Velma takes off her glasses. She suddenly has hair that's twice as long. I don't know if she put in some extensions or something. And then she's wearing this like pleather red, like very squeaky (laughs) outfit that's like very form fitting. And she's doing this to impress Seth Green because that's what she thinks he's going to like. Yucky. The lesson she learns, well, the lesson okay. she learns is that okay. he didn't like it. He never liked that. He liked her the way she was originally. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, that's nice. And I'll just be that way. And then they wow. get together at the end. Even though for half the time he's like kind of a villain or something. I don't know. I wasn't fully paying attention, but he's like maybe just a red herring. I don't know. But he's a re- he's definitely a red herring. Do his red hair in that he has red hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did wow. you think you know what uh, when Fred was possessed by the monster? He very much I and I I, I feel like I'm bringing up the Barbie movie a lot. Also because we're kind of preparing to to, to cover the Barbie movie, and I saw the Barbie movie. I have a lot of issues with it, but I saw it four times in theaters. And I have two Barbie mm-hmm. Halloween costumes, wow. and I'm wearing my Barbie Crocs right now. Um, Gasp. Fred, when he's possessed by the monster, looks like Beach Ken. See, I think that Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred mm-hmm. is, he's giving. He's giving Ken. Ken. Ryan Gosling he's is Ken Gosling in the Barbie Ken. movie. Yes. I, I, I also made that, um, except that he is, I mean, I guess that, well, we'll talk about the Barbie episode. Ryan Gosling Ken is also um, absolved to a degree that I found to be a little silly. Sure. As is Fred. Um, because, you know, these issues, they're cyclical. We just have to keep forgiving men with certain kinds of hair. <laughs> but what were we talking about? Um, the, uh, Who can say? Oh, we were talking about um, how Velma is treated in the sequel. Well, that I mean, that mm-hmm. that is nice. I uh, But also, again, an over-rewarding of the male character to be like, wow, he likes a, a woman for being a person and then the reason i brought it up is because it's daphne's idea for velma to dress like that no and they have this really bizarre conversation where she's like i'll help you pick out an outfit and and before that velma's like i don't know how to get him to like me i'm not hot and then daphne's like i'm not hot either Anyway, let's go change our outfits. And it's just like, who wrote this exchange? I'm bummed. I have had that exact exchange <laughs> with women friends. Like, I, I look like shit. No, I look like shit. Well, I'm going to change my shirt. But this is children's media. You know, yeah. don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Ultimately, with Velma, mm-hmm. I appreciate that this is her story like her main story is challenging fred's being an asshole the story is very clearly on her side 
mm-hmm. think that there is a marked difference with how I don't think that well Velma is damseled at one point but then is rescued by Daphne mm-hmm. and like giving Daphne this big moment of agency and challenging how Shaggy viewed her to not be an active member of the group mm-hmm. and like we get moments with Daphne and Shaggy where they're sort of presented as like the less effective members of the group and Daphne is like no we have to do this mm-hmm. I think that the way that Velma is quote-unquote damseled but I, like I would say more just captured generally yeah. with that with the exception of that um, one I, I think that like it, even towards the end she and Fred are captured simultaneously mm-hmm. and are equally active in getting out of the situation so to me that's like not even really yeah. a damseling that's just right you know that's just <laughs> monsters when they're unleashed I mean um, they're gonna be capturing people one thing about monsters don't unleash them you're gonna be in a world of trouble yes so those are our gals. Yeah. Um, let's talk about we we hinted at this, but there the this movie and this franchise and this movie does not move the needle on this really at all. Um, is a very very white franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that this movie handles any even a hint at a uh, non-white non-American culture is handled, I think, pretty poorly. Real real bad. Um, so. One example is the group of people who, first of all, they're, it's very vague, but they seem to be coded as Polynesian Mm -hmm. in the most like generic stereotyped way possible. It's like almost impossible to comment on because you're like, I don't even know to the extent that the writer knows what they're even saying. Right. It's almost as if he just like took existing tropes and stereotypes and which to be fair i'm sh- i i if i'm remembering correctly are present in the scooby universe but mm. but it's 2002 and you don't have to do that even in the heat of shrek don't even in the be racist shrek. like come on yes Anyways. yes so there so there's like this just this vague coding um the character of Nagu, who, by the way, is played by a white British actor named Stephen Grives or Greaves. Okay. He is explaining that he and the other people are upset that Emil Mondavarius displaced ancient creatures. There's no mention of displacing, you know, people, which is thing that happens when colonizers come in and steal land from indigenous people which i mean and this feels like especially in the cartoony universe of scooby-doo like an actual opportunity to comment on it because you're theoretically you'd be displacing people to start a shitty theme park like it is like a cartoonish situation and feels like a missed opportunity right but instead they seem to be primarily upset that these ancient creatures which are also monsters and there's references to like the island being this like thoroughfare to this like mystical realm so there's all this like mysticism attributed to this indigenously coded people Mm -hmm. there's also that luchador character named Zarcos, and it's like, okay, why do these Polynesian coded people have a? Why is there like a cultural thing from Mexico? Right. Among- it, it is just like treating like this movie, and I think that the Scooby Doo universe in general, and a lot of media that dates 
especially because like this is it, it almost feels like if you want to make a lazy racist writing choice then for sure adapt a property that came out 40 years ago <laughs> and then and it's like oh well that property is likely already deeply racist in the way it's portrayed any other culture and like it's it's really frustrating and like yeah just over the top cartoonish the way that this movie and this franchise in general um up until more recently treats every culture that is not white midwestern americans as a monolith Mm -hmm. it's wild and then there's also the representation of voodoo Mm -hmm. where there's a character whose name we never learn everyone just calls him voodoo man Uh, he is played by an actor named miguel a nunez jr we I see really him. hope he was paid well because oh of course uh, he was not for this i, I know i know um, I, but i have to say it out loud and <laughs> to keep optimism alive sure um we see him in i believe two scenes both times he's trying to conduct again a quote-unquote voodoo ritual but mm-hmm. again it's nothing that resembles actual practices of the voodoo religion we talked about this a lot on the Princess and the Frog episode. Yeah. Where if you're interested to hear more detail, I'd and like recommend. the full history of appropriation in that because mm-hmm. that's also yeah, the in the Princess and the Frog it's appropriation within the context of New Orleans specifically and mm-hmm. I mean there's it's it's a very deep history. Yes. So in this movie, it just is presented as like a gag. I don't even know. You could write that character out of the movie and it would not really make much of a difference. He's only there to suggest something about the castle, but like that could have just happened a different, like the whole thing, both the representation of voodoo, of the indigenous coded people. Yeah. I even hesitate to call it representation. Like it's like... Right. It's just like saying shit in a way that's offensive. Yeah. Like it's yeah. the the presence of it, I guess, is like yeah. it all reads as no thought or research went into anything. It's just relying relying on and reinforcing existing stereotypes. The filmmakers, it just seems like they're like, Well, who cares? Only white people are gonna see this anyway. Which and is, shit like that. You know, again, deeply untrue and uh yeah that's super i mean i i honestly i'm gonna be honest and say i haven't seen a single damn guardians of the galaxy movie Mm -hmm. and and furthermore i don't plan to i bravely have seen all three well i guess that's my (laughs) question not that it in any way excuses the way that he handles a um, series of of cultures um throughout this movie is this something that in James Gunn's body of work there's been movement on from what you've witnessed? Or I'm always curious in like how a, someone course corrects or doesn't throughout the course of their career. Right. Um, I have not watched those movies through that like lens. The main thing that comes to mind is Zoe Saldana. Sure. Another example of her, you know, not being allowed to show her actual skin and instead she's much like shrek she's green she's green she is green in in those movies and even i know that as someone who is really to like kind of like absurdly avoided not those movies specifically but just like 
they make me tired. I got mm-hmm. so depressed after I saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I was like, wow, like mm-hmm. a Sam Raimi superhero movie. We're so back. And then it just absolutely sucked so hard and I fell asleep. <laughs> and then I was just like, I'm done with these motherfuckers. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not seeing them anymore. Ugh. They don't even let Sam Raimi make a good one. He made Spider-Man 2. I know. What kind of joke is this? I think that um, Alfred Molina could have played the Mr. Bean character, just for the record. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But he was in Frida this year, so he couldn't. Right. He was busy. Um, yeah. I don't think I have anything else to talk about. Um, do you? Do you? Mm-hmm. D-O-O. Jamie, Scooby, do you? Do you? <laughs> um, no, I don't. I, I, uh, I do not. I think that that is all I have to say about Scooby Doo two thousand two. Mm. But I will say that I, um, I was pleasantly surprised by how much of this movie held up better than I thought it was. However, mm-hmm. Caitlin Durante, does this movie mm-hmm. pass? The Bechdel test. The, sorry. First of all, my name is Caitlin Durante. D O O. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And secondly, um, I think I it does. Right. Not. I forgot to pay attention as per usual. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the rectal rest. Oh, um, the re- <laughs> <laughs> does this movie rest the rectal, rectal rest? rest. Uh, yes. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, yeah, between Velma and Daphne, uh, there, there's a few. Ex- I mean, there's some exchanges that are about you know characters like, for example, Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually when they're talking, they, they. Uh, I think one that stood out to me was Daphne protesting to Velma, characterizing her as helpless. Um, right. But they also talk about ghosts and monsters who I think in the context of this movie are presented as relatively genderless, genderless. and so I would uh, I would have that count mm-hmm. oh we didn't oh actually really quick we didn't talk about Mary Jane uh, oh right who I think is like it's frustrating because I think that like Daphne and Velma are the best characterized of the four. I think mm-hmm. that the, the women are given more precedence and uh, more significant arc than the men of the story. That's mm-hmm. rare. That's cool. Um, and then we have Mary Jane, who I think is very much presented as a girlfriend character um, in a more kind of stock character way. We get depth to her in that she is possessed. Uh, but, uh-huh. but I would ultimately say that she's a possessed girlfriend character. Um, yeah. and a waste, and, and I don't like seeing people waste Isla Fisher's time, I think I is, um, is what I believe to be true. So that's, uh, but anyways, this movie does pass, um, the, the rectal rest and the Bechtel test, mm-hmm. but what about the most important metric of all time? If you're referring to the ripple rail. <laughs> God, it sounds so gross when you when we scoobify any of the like vernacular associated with the show yes the rectal test and the ripple rail (laughs) aka the nipple scale on which we rate the movie zero to five nipples based on examining it through an intersectional feminist lens yeah i'll give this movie i guess two nipples i think that while it does rely on some pretty tropey ideas of female characters and like the way they are designed, the way they are presented, 
feels rather tropey at times. Rather ropey. <laughs> rather ropey. I do appreciate that they are given... <laughs> The bar is low here, but they're given narrative significance. They're given interesting arcs Mm -hmm. that for 2002 feel kind of feminist in a 2002 way where one of them is tired of being damseled. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She learns how to fight and defend herself. And then we see her doing that by the end of the movie. Yes. And it actually follows through because I feel like so often in this era, you would get the beginning of that message and it would bear out in no significant way. So I do think ups on actually having (laughs) the vague feminist statement results in something. Mm -hmm. Wow. Crumbs. Mm -hmm. Crumbs. And also that that scene where she fights is... um, I mean, for me, it's a it's a sleigh. It's great. It's good. It's a, I like it's, it. a, it's fun. And speaking of sleigh, it's kind of giving Buffy the vampire sleigh. Er, <laughs> if we're saying this, the the vernacular is dead. Um, and if it's if it's arrived at us, you know, it's, uh, the, well, uh, Jamie, don't. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you want to come over and lamp with me later. <laughs> something that hasn't been said in decades and also i never even heard it, it i i was like <laughs> it's very possible that that was like regional very... new england parlance in my area after mm. we saw napoleon dynamite five years after it came out really don't know we uh-huh. really don't know what what all that was then we should cover napoleon dynamite but i anyway. said earlier i'd never want to oh sorry okay i'll, but t- I I'll don't, take it back but, but why did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> I think I just don't want to watch it. Oh, well, our job, Jamie, is to watch every movie. We wanted to watch, we wanted to watch Scooby. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, okay. Okay. So Sorry. that is Daphne's yes. uh, storyline. Velma's yes. storyline is being frustrated that a man is taking credit for her work, a very yes. familiar thing. And we've both been there. We've both been there. And the end of the movie, the situation is that, so really it's kind of like a redemption for Fred, which is kind of annoying. Um, yes. But it is Velma being acknowledged and recognized publicly, like in front of the press. On the news. On the news for her work. And then he also like... <laughs> Again, the bar is so low here, but he gives her the space to, like, tell the story for herself and say, like, here's what happened. Although we cut away almost immediately. Yeah, well, it is presented as, like, he lets her. And you're like... He lets her do it. Exactly. So that's, like... Okay. Blah. But still. Still. Not nothing. Not nothing. So that's what we're used to. there's those pretty cool things. I would have liked to see, I think, more of a relationship and friendship between... Daphne and Velma Mm -hmm. I would have liked to see Mary Jane be more of a realized character you know and also let Velma be gay he tried he tried it was 2002 so I appreciate the attempt right yes um so you know maybe I'll bump it up to two and a half even Mm -hmm. and I'll give one to Velma one to Daphne and one 
to Ruby Ruby Roo. Yay. Or one half, rather. I'm going to give two and a half to the version that... Or no, I'm going to give... Mm, I'm going to give two and a half to the version that came out and three to the version that James Gunn intended. Um, I think that the um, the racism in this movie is pretty... Uh, Oof obviously <laughs> fucked up um not that there's any not obvious way to do that but um it, it's pretty flagrant i guess is what i'm saying yeah. um the way that a number of cultures are not only turned into a monolith but insulted on top of that mm-hmm. and on top of that just like a lot of missed opportunities for inclusivity that the franchise takes we know now uh with the benefit of time decades to course correct on yeah i was interested to learn about the history of trying to include queer characters in this franchise and uh, the very of the time way that that was prevented from happening. Um, but I am, you know, I'll hand it to James Gunn for really pushing for it. And to, to the point where the actors on set were like, this is my character mm-hmm. for 2002. That is fairly impressive. And then uh, to just piggyback on what you were saying, I think that, yeah, the, the, I wouldn't have expected of this era for the two characters of the five to be most um, focused on would be the two women. And that, yes, at their core, they are kind of like simple feminist messages. Mm -hmm. But in the context of a kid's movie at this time, the fact that those messages are, are said and acted on within the story, um, I thought it worked. I thought it was good. And I wish they had kissed yeah and so i'm gonna give uh yeah two and a half two or three depending on uh, which version of it we're talking about Uh, i'm gonna give one to daphne's suitcases i'm gonna give mine only i'm not giving mine to people daphne's suitcases at the airport Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm giving one to scooby's grandma drag Uh and i'm giving the half to the animatronics inside of Mr. Bean. <laughs> Wonderful. And there you go, you sickos. The yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people that said, no, no, we want them to cover Scooby-Doo. Well, guess what? We did. And we had a great time. I hope you're happy. had a blast. I had a rast <laughs> with you, Raitlin Morante. Wow. And uh, just a reminder, if you want to, you know, force us to do things that are ultimately fun for us, um, you can <laughs> subscribe to our Patreon, aka Matreon, right now. $5 a month to uh, listen to f- two additional bonus episodes with just Caitlin and me every single month on a theme that uh, I would say at least every other month um, we give the uh matreon community a chance to choose either what the theme is or we come up with a theme and you vote on the movies Mm -hmm. occasionally we will cancel democracy and be like it's the pinocchio wars and you have to deal with it but it's just kind (laughs) of a chaotic energy over there uh we have fun over there and if you Mm -hmm. liked the vibe of today's episode that's kind of what the vibe is like over on the matreon so check it out so true and that's at patreon.com slash cast. You can not go to the rectal t- cast. <laughs> don't not- go. I, we don't, we can't vouch for whatever is at patreon.com slash the rectal cast. But spinoff podcast? No. Okay, <laughs> fine. So yes, patreon.com slash cast. You can also go to tpublic.com slash the cast for yeah. all of your merchandising needs, which are designed by Jamie Loftus. Sorry, Ramey Raftus. Ramey Raftus. 
Uh, yeah, tis the season to get your just uh, to, to, to show where you stand on the political spectrum and get merch that says, "I think Beetlejuice comes wet scabs and or dry scabs." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, people love to wear the merch in public. Just kidding. I think the entirety of like it is. If you want a shirt to wear only inside your house. You gotta get the scabs merch. <laughs> um, anyways, we love mm-hmm. you so much. Uh, we're yanking the mask off your face of being like, wait, it, you're just you're just some guy. What the fuck? Yeah, and I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling podcasters. Exactly. exactly. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> and I think we really stuck the landing, and we're gonna <laughs> bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.